And then how do you be a millionaire? That's not that tough. You'll never grow wealth if you're strapped with debt. I know people that make $700,000 a year and they're desperate for cash. Because they spend everything they have, but they have no net worth. There's nothing there. But the moment that income stops, they're broke. Welcome everyone to the DJ Seelitz Business Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Little, DJ Seelitz. We've got a very special guest on the show today. This guy has been in broadcasting, an executive for over 20 years. He has been an entrepreneur since a kid selling candles door to door, and just recently he sold a big bank that he helped start. Um, he's done a lot of different things. He's also a dad, has seven kids, husband to a beautiful wife. He um, is pretty good at pickleball. Not all the time, but most of the time. Ladies and gentlemen, this is one of my favorite mentors, favorite people, Brad Nilsson. Pleasure to be here with you, Charlie. Thanks for taking the time. My pleasure. So tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of your career path, what got you into business. You were just telling me you're kind of more of an investor than an entrepreneur. So what does that mean? Well, I, I, uh, in college I studied communications and broadcast. And so I spent the first 20 years of my career in uh, television. And I was an account executive in Tulsa, Oklahoma with the NBC affiliate. Then I moved out here in, in, in Phoenix in 1987 to uh, to run the local sales department at, at ABC 15, which at that time was KNXV Television, and it was an independent. And so we were the Fox, we were we were an independent, pure independent, and then that year, in 87, we picked up the Fox affiliation and became the Fox affiliate when Fox launched, um, which was an interesting experience. Over the course of time, um, we lost Fox when New World um, was purchased by the Fox network and they had a right in their contract to take the affiliation from any affiliate wherein they had, in a market where they had a, an affiliate. And so Channel 10 was the New World affiliate in this market, or the New World station, so they had the right to pull Fox away from us and take it to Channel 10. At which point we picked up the ABC affiliation and then we launched the news, we started a newscast, uh, built a new building and it was uh, multiple careers in, in one, and so it was a great experience. I left there in 2002, um, terminated by... You I, were terminated? Oh yeah, yeah that, that happens. That's, I, I bring that up because that's critical in business. You gotta expect, when you're in, a, especially in a corporation, um, the gentleman that, that terminated me was good manager, I respect him, he just, uh, he wanted his own guy. I mm-hmm. came up through the sales side of it, and uh, he was a purist news director and, and news manager, and so he ran the television group in our company, and, and he wanted his news people in there. And so he ended up hiring uh, a guy that was a news guy from way back that actually was his general manager at another station, and he brought him in to run the news operation and therefore the station. And so I moved on. At that point, we had seven kids living in our home under one roof, under this roof, and so we decided we didn't want to pick up and start moving all over the country, which is not uncommon for television general managers, kind of like high or college football coaches, uh, hmm. they move on. And, and so we opted to, to uh, stay out of television. We had opportunities immediately and we said, no, we're going to stay here and raise our kids. So that's the point at which I'd already had uh, an Arby's franchise with a partner and then uh, decided to just go it on our own after television and that's where we started to, to develop and invest in businesses. And, so that, that was kind of, I mean, I went the traditional route, college, got a degree, followed my degree emphasis into broadcasting. And so I, I don't regret that a bit. I think it was probably the best thing I ever did 
because for 20 years I got the benefit of the best uh, HR counsel, legal counsel, all those experiences that you, you learn as a manager and uh, and made my mistakes at the company's expense, which is... Right, not a single your dollar. Uh, yeah, I didn't have to pay when I made a mistake and the company understood it. That's the learning process. I think sometimes people think that they never make mistakes, but I think that's probably the greatest educational experience is when you look at your life, you look at your business experience and you make a mistake, most people just want to move on and fix it and move on if they can. But I think it's so important to reflect on the mistake and say, okay, what did I do? I, I said, how, why did I get terminated? Why did, why did I lose my job after 20 years in the business? And, uh, and, and I don't think I could have changed much because it was who I was. It's, I came home and told my kids, I said, using a football analogy, he said, you know, I said, they want to run the wishbone and I'm a passing quarterback. And he wants a wishbone quarterback. That's as simple as it was. He wants a news guy. And I came through sales. And so I didn't have a lot of credibility with my, that boss at corporate that came in that replaced another guy there. And, and he, uh, he was great to me, treated me fair the whole time. I have no complaints. He just wanted a different quarterback. So I had to, I had to pick up and move on. And that's, that, I remember in college, you had a mentor that was incredible. He was, uh, he died at 53 the year I left college, but he had been a vice president at Kmart at a corporation. And, and he told me, he told us all, he said, at least three times in your career, you're gonna get kicked in the gut. And it won't be your fault. And, and there'll be little that you can do about it. And he says, what you become will be what you do in those difficult situations. When the world just seems to throw you a curveball and it wasn't your fault, and what do you do with it? Do you sit and whine and moan and complain and, and sue people and, and all that? Or do you pick it up and learn from the experience and move on? And, and that was some of the greatest advice I ever had because when that happened, all I could think of was Clyde Johnson saying, you're going to get kicked in the gut. What do you do with it? And so um, I think that's... Uh, as Charlie, and I, Charlie mentioned early on, I, I think I'm more an investor than I am an entrepreneur. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a rule follower. I'm obedient. I, 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 I want to be obedient. Hmm. I, I'm, not, I'm not Steve Jobs. And that's probably the thing I'd, I'd say if there's any, any wisdom I can give you there. You've got to be who you are. I, I will never be Steve Jobs. In fact, if you look at Steve Jobs or some of these great, incredible leaders that have created wonderful things that have impacted the whole world, Many of them, I mean, their lives are a mess. They've been divorced multiple times. Um, they've been bankrupt. They've been, they've been all kinds of things. And because they are so focused and so single-minded, they're incredible in their accomplishments. But I don't want that kind of life. I don't want money to that extent. I, we have seven kids, and I love my life, and I love my wife, and I love my kids and my grandkids. So I'm not willing to trade all those things to be a Steve Jobs. But the reality is I'm not Steve Jobs. I don't have the abilities he has. I don't have the single focus. Uh, so I... I think that's important. I think you got to be who you are. Now you can enhance who you are, mm -hmm. and you can improve upon yourself, and you can gain an education, and you can set goals to step into areas that are uncomfortable for you. And I think that's really important to grow yourself and 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 move out of your comfort zone. But I'm not Steve Jobs. I don't want to be Steve Jobs. And I think that's I think that's really important. You know, the guys that run these big eight accounting firms, um, they're brilliant. They're not entrepreneurs, most of them. They're not. They, they follow the rules. They, 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 they want to do things a certain way, so they, it, it leads them into accounting, or it leads people into, if they love to perform, there's a lot of lawyers that are performers. The litigators, they love to be in the courtroom. They love to have an audience. They love to sell, right? And, and yeah. that's what they do. But if you don't have that personality, you might be a transactional lawyer. 
you might you don't want the audience necessarily. You, you love the law, you love strategizing and figuring out how to do things, but you don't need the audience. So if if you're if you're an actor and you're you're a performer, almost any career out there can accommodate that. Like I said, law or or you can you can I mean who, whoever thought before Steve Jobs that that the president of a company would come on and do a, a worldwide presentation of their new products. He's a performer. He, that's what he wants to do. So I think if you figure out what your strengths are and, and what your attributes are that, that help you be successful, you can, you can develop them in any area. Um, so I just think that's important, to, to know who you are, figure out who you are and what you like to do, and then push yourself to be better and expand and learn and grow. But don't be disappointed if, if you admire someone and you don't have those characteristics. Yeah. Learn from them and then be yourself. It's just all about self-awareness, right? Yeah, and, 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 and if you use your strengths, in most cases, you can make money with your strengths. I think that's kind of what we're talking about, entrepreneurship, making money, successful businesses. You can make money doing almost anything if, you, if you're, again, if you're honest and you're ethical and you work hard at it. If, if, if people need the product or service, you can make money doing it if you do it well. Um, and that the money is just a, it's an indicator, it's a grade card, it's a measure of whether or not you're serving the community or the customer base. And you're offering something of value that they're willing to pay for because they can acquire it from you cheaper than they can produce it or buy it from somewhere else. And I don't mean cheap, it doesn't have to be inexpensive, but the quality of what you give them is worth them parting with their money for. Mm -hmm. You don't, you don't trick people, you don't sell them garbage, you, you, you create a service or a product that actually blesses their life and they say, that's worth it, I'll pay you for it. And that's, and I, I think everybody's so different, that's why um, we all come from a different position. And so you have to figure out what, what allows you to be congruent with yourself, with your values, your religion, uh, your faith, all those things have to fit. You don't, you don't you're not one way, you know, at, at, in your religion on Saturday or Sunday or whatever it is, and then different Monday through Friday. You've got to be congruent with what you believe, or your life is really a mess. Yeah, totally. So what was your transition like from the corporate world 20 plus years and then all of a sudden, boom, done? Were you, were you a little bit scared? And how did you make that transition to doing more businesses? I was a lot scared. Yeah? yeah because there's a comfort in, in a big company where you have a lot of people around you, a lot of resources. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's different to go out into the kind of the wild west and start jump into a business that um, you may not know a lot about. I think that's one thing is, I that's where I kind of maybe pushed my own rules a little bit. I jumped, jumped in things that I really didn't have a lot of experience in. Um, but I've always had partners. I have always surrounded myself with people who have the strengths I don't have. And and one of my key partners is a guy named Clark Gee, and he's a lawyer. And, and I always joke that you know, Clark and I, we fit together like this. There is no overlap. We don't do this. We do this. <laughs> so when Clark and I have a decision to make, it's very apparent. Clark, you handle that one. That's yours. Or Brad, you handle that. Or, you know, we put our heads together and it's, we don't even have to tell each other who's going to do what. So I'll take that side of it. You take that side of it. Because we know what our strengths are and we know how we work together. So Clark's been a tremendous blessing to me in the business world because of his legal background and his, his um, analytical skills and all the things he does so well. I'm more the people guy, problem solver, sales guy, marketing guy. How do we how do we reach the customer base? So that's been uh, a real benefit to me is to have people around me that do well in our glass company. And he's a general manager. He knows glass. He's a great glass guy. Has been since he was a kid. Clark's the attorney, 
and I'm, I'm some ambiguous guy that does other stuff. Um, so we work together and we try and figure out how to attack a problem. Rarely does one of us make a decision and just run with it. We, we meet together at least monthly, and we're, we're together weekly and almost every day. But monthly we have a formal meeting where we sit down and, and look at the business and, and assess where we're going and our, our goals being accomplished or not, and then we take off from there. So um, that's been a real strength to me is to have people around me that, that I trust explicitly and that have the strengths I don't have. It's just kind of fun that way because it's, it's, it's that team approach where you know, if, if you're the center of a basketball team, we expect you to be blocking shots and all, and if, if you're the point guard, you're, you're going to be doing something different. And so that's kind of how we've structured the businesses. Inadvertently, we don't, you won't see a game chart, but we just work together that way. So you know Clark pretty well, but how do you know when you can trust someone and you want to do business with them? How do you evaluate, you know, this is a trustworthy person, I want to do business with them, well, I want to be their partner? I, I think you see the world the way you are. My experience is you tend to see the world the way you are. And so if you're not comfortable with someone, if you're around them very long and you feel uncomfortable, um, it's a pretty good indication that you may not be good for each other. Um, what I mean by that is if, if you try and be honorable and you're around someone that's dishonorable, you feel it. A dishonest person, it just there's just a, sometimes the hair stands up and you just feel the suggestions they make, hey, we can get away with this, whatever. And you, I just found that's easy to avoid those people. I just say that's not the kind of person I'm going to deal with. And, and the partners that I have in business now, I, I had uh, some relationship with most of them while I was in television. So I, it wasn't a, a quick, you know, I'm out of television, i got to find a job. Clark, you want to do something? It wasn't that way. Um, we gradually grew together in business, and then we've done some other things once we initially got together on. I thought Clark originally called me when I left TV and said, hey, we've got this company over here, and, and we got some issues, and you've got to... A fresh perspective and an eye that maybe we don't have. Would you be interested in coming in and spending a little time and just kicking around? And uh, and I did, and it was really insightful to me. And and I think some of the things that I saw that seemed very apparent to me um, made sense when I suggested them. I said, well, why are we doing it this way or why are we doing it that way? And that's how that evolved. And eventually, I said, would you like to buy some stock and be a part of the company? And and that's how that evolved. And then Clark and I have done some other things. We started an internet business that was not successful. You know, there's a lot of stops and starts in mm -hmm. business, but I, I, I think critical is that some people, like Steve Jobs, seem to be, you know, they, they run it. They just do what they want to do, and everybody listens and takes orders, and I don't think most businesses are like that. And I think the ones that are, in many cases, don't become apples. They, um, they struggle because you've got one individual's wisdom, and that's it and they dominate, and they make every decision, and there's people usually all around them that go, there's an opportunity right there, let's take it, and they shut them down. So I, I, I found that there's great, I mean, you've got, to be, you've got to be strong enough to say no to your partners and to say I disagree with that, but you've also got to listen to them, because if you get the right team together, I mean, there really is a lot more than the sum of the parts when you start dialoguing and putting ideas together. When, when you talked about um how to have a successful business. That's like exactly what Dave Timmerman said, which is, which is what? like just honest, trustworthy, oh. work hard and make sure people want to buy it, like that kind of thing. Well, I, I mean, and that is, it's, but a lot of it has to do with what you believe. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there that make money that are successful in business that are criminals. Hmm. They're just crooks. Yeah. They just, they don't pay their taxes, they cheat on everything, they take cash under the table, and, and if, I mean, that's not right, 
it's wrong in my opinion, but they make money. So if you look at them and say, that guy makes a lot of money. Yeah, so do bank robbers till they get caught. So I think you have to look at what's important to you. And that's why business should not be a separation from your values. And that's, and, 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 you know, you, I know we talked yesterday about the businesses or, or what's important or how do you know when to get into a business. And in my case, I think that the single greatest thing there is just to be prepared when the opportunity comes. And that includes capital. You've got to have money. So I'm a saver. Mm, and I yeah. have been. And when we were in television, I think we saved over 30% of our gross income for years. Wow. So when my job ended in television, I didn't have to take that first job. You know, when they said, hey, we're interested. No, I didn't have to do that. I said, I'm going to sort things out. And we had enough cash that we, we could live comfortably for a number of years if we needed to. I didn't want to waste it. I didn't want to live comfortably just spending money. But we had enough money that we got to make choices. And I think that's the critical thing about gaining an education, um, living your life so you don't close a lot of doors. When you start taking drugs, you start getting addicted to any substance, you're shutting doors. Opportunities close. Mm -hmm. So when you keep your doors open, that's why I think about education. I, I really didn't learn a lot about television in my, in my college degree. I got a degree in communications and it was focused on electronic media. I didn't learn anything about television. I mean, this much. But it expanded my horizon and, and got me the opportunity to step into that arena and be trained and be taught and have the experience. And most, most jobs today are a function of you got to have the sheepskin. you got to have the degree. Now, that's the, that's the traditional way. I mean, there's guys that run out and start their own businesses on the Internet and do crazy stuff, and they've never, you know, they dropped out of high school. The other thing I'd say is be careful of focusing on exceptions because exceptions are outliers. They happen. Those guys are there. But it's statistically, it's not going to be you. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm conservative, and, and, and so I tell my kids that the thing to do, it, it's one thing to just, just run off and take a risk, and, and you point to a guy, that guy was successful, and he, he, he risked everything. Most guys that risk everything aren't successful. Um, and so you prepare, you save some money, you have some capital, and then when the opportunity comes up, you're more... It's easier to judge the merit of a business if you have capital that you're spending, that you've saved, than if you just, somebody, hey, we can give you a loan for 300 grand, you can go buy that business. That sounds so fun and exciting, right? But, and you're using borrowed money, and it sounds easy. And next thing you know, your business has failed, you owe $450,000, and you got no way to pay it back. And so it follows you for years. And so it's important that you, you prepare yourself for the opportunities from education, um, save money, don't spend any got. An old gentleman that was very successful told me once, he said, most people in America will never, never have $50,000 after taxes that they can do something with that, that won't upset their lifestyle if they lose it. He said, in fact, and that's proven. I mean, I think, uh, what is the number now? Uh, over 50%, right around 50% of Americans pay no taxes. And, and it's because they have no income. Hmm. And so, if you can save fifty thousand dollars, you can you can start a lot of businesses. You can invest. There's all kinds of things you can do, but I would tell you to avoid debt. Debt is is just it's it's a cancer that destroys a lot of you know good opportunities. So, I mean, I'd go a bunch of different ways with this. I mean, most businesses have some debt, credit lines, whatever, to, to handle receivables. But but if you're swamped in debt, most businesses don't do well if they're carrying an excessive amount of debt. In fact, in the recession in seven eight. And nine, um, the business that didn't have debt, our business didn't have debt. We went from 90-something people at the glass company 
down to 20 or 30, and we didn't go out of business because we didn't have debt. Mm -hmm. our, our revenue diminished. We had to let people go because we didn't have the work. We didn't go out of business. We didn't lose everything we had. We just shrunk, and then when the opportunity was right, we actually merged with another little company that was in a similar situation to us. We took Andy as our general manager, and we started to grow. We're back to 90-something people. But had we had debt, like most companies, we'd have been gone. We just wiped off the map. I mean, there were 54, 55 community banks in Arizona when we started our bank, and there's right around 10 now because the recession wiped them out because they were, they were too leveraged. They had too much um, dependent on the market staying good, and markets never stay good. <laughs> So I think, again, I'm conservative, so I'm not going to tell you that, you know, ah, take three mortgages on your house, run out, risk everything, you know. I've seen too many people, especially being in banking, that have done that and have lost everything. And, and, and not just money. I mean, money can be replaced. They lose wives or husbands, children, family, family relationships get splintered and shattered and all because they're chasing money. So the other thing is, if, if it's all about money, you might make some money, but you're going to have a miserable life. Right. You really need to do something that you find satisfaction in because you're generally helping people or doing something of value. And if you're just chasing money, in fact, most guys who chase money aren't successful because they're just chasing money. They're not focused on the customer. They're, not fo they're focused. And so then they step into unethical traps because they're either going to lose it. They're, they're up against the wall. They've stretched it. They've spent way too much money, borrowed too much money, and they have to appear successful. And so they do things that are unethical, dishonest, and they end up, you know, in trouble, or at the very least, their conscience destroys them because they know they're crooks. So, I mean, I, my story, if you want to talk, is is I'm a rule follower, and and but I try and learn the rules that bring success. Um, it's not hard. You said, you know, how do you be a millionaire? That's not that tough, but you can't do it tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, the average guy with the average American income, sixty-three thousand dollars or fifty-eight, whatever it is now, if you save fifteen percent of your gross income. From the time you start working, you'll be a millionaire. Just run the numbers. Doesn't matter. You know, how much if you money figure eight to ten percent, you know, in the in the market, if you put it in basic S and P 500, an index fund, you'll be a millionaire. That's not hard. But most people spend everything they have and more. And I mean, I'm just hearing these stories now. People 65, 68, 70, they're, they're working at Walmart as a greeter. Nothing wrong with that, but that wasn't what they planned to be doing. They're eating cat food, they're trying to survive, and they're living on a meager social security because they spent everything they had and they borrowed and they're still paying off a mortgage. Yeah, and so when you say rule follower, I think you also mean self-disciplined, right? You're paying yourself, you're saving. Oh yeah, that's my money. Yeah. See, people think when they save money that they're depriving themselves. And what happens is when you start saving money and you just do it for a few years, you turn in, we have $35,000 in savings. We have 50, we have 100, we have, and all of a sudden you go, I could go buy that new Tesla, you know, but I don't want to. I value what I've earned and saved more than a Tesla. And if I buy a Tesla, it's going to be a, a used one that somebody else has taken a big hit on. But but that's that's me. I mean, I'm not I'm not advocating that. But I know this: the people who borrow money on cars, that's that's a middle class problem. Rich people don't borrow money on cars, right. and they don't. Most of them don't buy new cars. They can, but they don't. They buy it used in Middle cash. class people lease cars, which is the worst financial move you can make. A lease typically, I think I just read it, you know, a lease, all the, all the, when you consider the way, because you're renting the car. They don't have to disclose this because it's not technically a loan, it's a lease, but it's 14.2% across all the different makes. That's the average interest you pay on a lease. And you turn it in. If people look around and realize the only way 
to generate wealth is is to have some money that you can do something with, and your big, biggest wealth generator is your income. So if you're if you're spending 110% of what you earn because you're borrowing and you're leasing and you're, you you will never have anything. And and then if you find a business and you want to buy it, it's a good opportunity. You can't do it because nobody's going to lend you money when you can't manage your money. So I mean that that's why I'm a rule follower. But I I've tried to study what people that make money do and how they invest and what they do and. The number one thing that I've seen that all successful people do is they learn to save. They live within their income or below their income. They save. And so back to that comment about preparation, how do you know when it's right to buy a business? Just the simple fact that I've saved this money and I worked hard for it and I, I deprived myself, if you will, from what I could have purchased and now I have the money and this business cost me $100,000 and I have $100,000. Am I willing to risk? Does that really look like the business I want to be in? No. But the flip side of that is, yes, and I don't have to go into debt. Here's the money, and now I can go, and mm -hmm. I don't have that burden of debt hanging over me, which is much easier to be successful in business when you don't have debt. So that's my approach. I'm, I'm not the guy that you know throws the, the dart at the board and hopes I hit it big, um, because that's a that's a wish, that's a hope. But you can be a millionaire. You can be successful. It's not hard. It's very easy. It really is. If you're employable and you have a marketable skill, you can be you can be employed and you can save money. And, and along the way, if you make some good, I mean, I've lost money in investments, but it was money I could afford to lose. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I invested in something that was really exciting, and it was kind of that this could be big. I, I took five thousand. I think it was five five or six thousand dollars. Is this the uh, covered parking? Yeah, talking yeah. About? yeah. And it was. It in sounded Arizona. like a great idea. Um, but what's so funny is to hear the stories of how these things fail. And this was a typical one. I'll just tell you real quick. It was it was guys that I knew, I trusted mm -hmm. from church. You know, they, they, I had I, not just because they went to my church, but I knew them, and, and I they were good men with with good attitudes and uh, work ethics. But they started this company in Arizona of covered parking in public spaces, grocery stores, malls, that kind of thing. And it sounded great. And they had a coin operated operation where they they had everything machined and and, and the the things went in the ground that would actually you know pop up and you couldn't back out if you didn't pay your bill. Um, and so it was electronic, so you put a credit card in and paid a dollar an hour, whatever the case was. And we ran the numbers and, you know, if you have 10,000 parking spots, what this could generate in the summertime. And we took, they took little polls and said to people, um, if you had this option, would you pay a dollar an hour to park at the mall um, to shop in the summertime in Arizona? Absolutely, absolutely. And so it looked all really good on paper. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I took money that I, I'd worked hard to save. We were just here for a few years. We were a young couple. And I put that money in there. and. The way it failed is that they did everything but talk to the retailers because they didn't want to give away the secret. Right. And when they went to talk to the retailers, the re retailers said, well, will this be exclusive to me, to my mall, or to my grocery chain? Well, no, the numbers were run on all the malls and all the grocery chains. And they said, well, then forget it because it's only an advantage to me until, until you sell the guy next to me and he can build. Then, then, then it's an expense because everybody has to have it to compete. Yeah. And they, they didn't collude. They just they recognized, said, if, if you sell it to somebody and they do it, I'll do it. But I'm not going to do it because, because I, I can't have an exclusive. It, it won't be just me. It won't force people into my mall because every other mall will have it. So we don't want it. And it, it went belly up. But had I just had somebody walked into me and said, hey, we got this idea and we can loan you five. We got a bank that'll loan you 5,000 bucks or 10 for your investment, whatever. Just sign here. You're employed. It's easy. A lot of people do that. And I invested hard-earned money at it, and I lost it. So that, that was, I remember that. I still remember that. The excitement and also the burn. When you have your own money, 
you treat investments differently. You treat purchases differently. Right now, I've, I've got uh, one of my nephews just called me and said, hey, Uncle Brad, um, I got an opportunity to buy a yogurt shop. And I said, really? So, and he, he's a good kid, but he hasn't had a lot of experience in business. And so he's asking me, and I advised I said, this is great, Rich. I said, get me the financials, let's look at it. And so he's meeting with the guy tomorrow. From what I initially could see on this, um, I just said, ask him to just take the numbers, look at the rent. And he just had three numbers. He had gross revenue, he had the rent, and he had, um, what was the other number? And he had one other number. And I said, take those numbers. And I said, in, 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 in fast food and quick serve restaurants, typically 30, 30, 10. 30% uh, payroll, 30% product, and 30% rent in, in your fiscal facilities, right? And 10% profit. That's that's around a rule of thumb for quick serve restaurants. I said, look at your rent. Your rent's $5,600. That's $70,000 a year. They're grossing $254. You run that and take take 30% of each of those categories. There's not much money there left. And, and based on what he's asking for this this franchise, it's not a franchise actually, just for the standalone restaurant. I said. Are you willing to, to give up your job to earn maybe 10, 20 grand? If everything's won, he's not lying to you? And, and, and so I said, go get the financials, look at this, ask him these questions, let's look at the financials and see. But it's so easy to just get caught up in something that sounds interesting or fun or romantic. Um, but if you look a little deeper and say, okay, let me look into retail. And I told him that's 14 hours a day, 365 days a year. and and. When you're dealing with quick serve, you're dealing with, because we have an RB, we have an Arby's, we have Dairy Queen. When you're dealing with that, you're dealing with typically young kids, first jobs. Now in Arizona, minimum wage is $12, mm -hmm. uh, which really changes the dynamic in a, in a, in a restaurant. Um, it probably cuts it into was, your profits was, too. Well, yeah, it was $8.07 three, four years ago, and now it's $12. That's a huge increase. In, in, and so prices go up, but even then, it, it, it's, it's difficult. So, but if you realize that you run in retail, that's why I don't have any restaurants here in Arizona or in Phoenix, because uh, I said, I can't, I, I'm not going to be the guy to go cover a shift for the guy at the grill. Uh, you know, I, I can't, I don't have that flexibility. I've got other things I'm committed to. So you realize that that's 12, 14 hours a day in, if you're running your own shop and it's just all kinds of things like that. So if you're, if you're using your own money that you've worked hard for, you tend to evaluate a little bit more thorough. Now you can evaluate yourself to death and you can analyze it to the point that you never buy anything. Mm -hmm. But if, if you've saved money and you have a respect for money, you will tend to be a little more wise when you invest your money. And it's better to go slow than fast. I mean, you, and you'll always hear these exceptions. Oh, I know a guy that did this and did that. And, and he may have, but that's an exception. It, it's hard to earn money. It's, it's hard to make a lot of money and, and even if you have a great year, I know remember a guy said, I made $350,000 last year, you know? And then a year later I say, hey, what's going on with him? Oh, he's, I don't know, divorced, he's gone, something happened. Hmm. That happens a lot, especially if it's flash in the pan. If, if you do something, you hit it right, you time it and something, something works, that's great. But in my mind, you want something that's a viable business that you can build. And if you want to do something else, you can sell it. You know, it's got to have some value which is a customer base and a product and a service that people want to pay over a period of time. So you're talking about growing businesses. How would you, how do you grow a business? Like if you're making six figures a year at your business, how do you take that to seven or seven to eight? Like how do these big companies, they all started somewhere. How did they grow to where they are today? How do you do that? Well, it depends on the business. But if, if you're a, like with our, our Dairy Queen, if if we wanted to grow, we would. There's a couple of things we could do, but the most, the quickest way to do that, once once you know the business and know how to run it, 
and know how to make it profitable and know how to manage internally and you have people you trust, you just go buy others or build others because then you know the business. That's why franchises have done well because they have a system in place that works. Right. That's the e-myth we talked about. Yeah. There's a system and that's why people buy franchises because there's marketing, there's product, somebody's developing the product. I don't have to worry about developing the next Blizzard flavor, they're doing it. And so that's why you buy a franchise. That's why you pay a franchise fee every month. And, um, but there's a real benefit to that. And so once you know how to make that franchise work and you can make a store successful, then you just add on stores. I know guys in the Valley have multiple stores, six, seven, eight, ten stores. That's a real good business. Mm -hmm. But one guy really can't effectively manage eight or ten stores. So you've got people around you that you trust. Many of those in that business, you've, you've hired off you know, out of high school or whatever and you've trained them. And, and they proved to be reliable, they proved to be honorable. You can trust them, you value, they're smarter than heck and then you make a regional manager. You move that guy initially to the next store, you buy, let him run it, prove himself out, and then you pull him in, you buy a few more, and then he oversees. You build good people, but you always want to hire better than you are. You want to hire the best people you can hire. Again, that's all relative to the wage you can pay them. You know, right. I can't hire a CPA if I got you know $20,000 a year, but I can hire a great kid at $20,000 a year that has strengths I don't have. It's, it's not just limited to experienced managers. I mean, we've got kids working for us that make great decisions. You know, they, they may not have a formal education yet, but you spot them and say, that's a good kid. And what happens in most cases, we had one that was our manager and then Coke came along, our own provider of our Coke products came along and took him to Coke because they recognized it too. <laughs> but, you know, the point is there's good people with an education, without an education, and you just take the ones depending on what your needs are and what their interests are and what their skill sets are and then you help grow them and build them. Many of those move on and you're happy about it. You're excited because you helped them get you know, another step up. But if you have the capacity and you want to grow a business, um, you take those people and you, man you, you promote them within. You give them opportunity. You give them incentives. You let them share in the, the success. And that's how you grow. So on a fast food, that's one way to do it. Um, in another business, in our glass business, we've looked at it and we've said, you know, we could, we could grow this business. Well, I mean, and we have grown it. It's a big business. Well, we could go to California, we go to Texas, we go to New Mexico, we go to Salt Lake. But we've said we don't want to. Because what that means is doubling and tripling and quadrupling the size and the buildings and the headache and the fleet of trucks and all that stuff. You can do it. And so it, it's, it's, it's a function of what you want to do. And so if you, the, the key, once you find a successful business and you form it and you know how to run it and you've got good people running it, then you say, do we want to take the next step? Do we want to expand? Do we want to just buy that business across town or in another state and expand there? And so, it's in my mind, that's really not a decision that's, that's hard. It, it just presents, opportunities presents itself. If, you're, if you've got a successful business, you'll always have people knocking on your door. You know, some of them are trying to exploit you or take advantage of you, but there's opportunities out there, and so you say, do we want to do that? Do we want to merge with this company? Do we want to take this product? If we, we just did that at the glass company. We added a door division. Um, and we ended up buying a, a small door company, and then we've just been growing it internally. Brought oh, them cool. in under our umbrella and been growing it. So it just depends on what your business is and what the opportunities are, but that's, those aren't real tough. To, they're, they're hard decisions because you're committing to something. But I think opportunities present themselves, and you say, guys, we're ready for this. Do we want to do this? And then you, you know, put your head together with the guys. That, and sometimes somebody will say, have we thought about this? Have we thought about that? Who's going to go do that? And, and, and that's how you sort it out internally. And then you say, 
Yeah, we don't want to do that right now. Or we do. Or we do. Hey, I got a son coming up. I've got daughters. These guys are all interested in the business. Let's do it. You know, so I, I think those things, uh, you talk a multinational, I, I, I've not been in those discussions about whether we go to Europe and you know, set up 300 operations. So, but I, I think in most cases, um, you can move fast if, if you want to, but I think you've got to watch your debt. And most companies, I've seen a lot of companies in television, we had a lot of advertisers, um, they did very well. And then they expanded too fast. And they had 35 retail stores around, you know, the valley. And next thing you know, they're out of business because they leveraged everything. And then there's a little downturn in the business. People quit buying beds. People quit buying for a period of time. And they can't afford that. Their financials demand that they generate this much revenue every single month. And they can't meet their debt service. And then they get crushed. So I'm the guy that says... Work hard. You got to have a good work ethic. People say, "Works." I work smart, not hard. That just means you're lazy. Um, so if you work hard and you put in the time and the effort and the energy, and you manage your debt and, and strive to have minimal debt, you can weather the storms. You can you can weather that. You might live a little meager during those soft years, but you'll be there to fight another day. And, and the guys that tend to be the, the the rocket ships that take off, many of them don't come back to Earth uh, in a comfortable way. They hit really hard. You talked about self-discipline and how saving is pretty much your superpower to you, to have more opportunities, yeah. have more success. What do you think are some really important daily habits? Because not only in business, but you have a really like well-rounded life. You're like athletic, take care of your health, have an awesome family. Right, that, that, that's important to me. I mean, some guys it isn't. Some guys, mm -hmm. but but yeah, I, I I think if you if you don't, well, let me just speak for me. I, I don't want to speak for other people, but to me, I, I enjoy business when I'm healthy. I don't like being sick. I don't smoke, so I don't want emphysema. I don't, I don't want to be huffing and puffing. I like to play racquetball. I like to ski. I like to, I like to do a lot of things. So that's important. I don't want to work seven days a week, you know, 18 hours a day. I want to work hard, but I, I also want to enjoy my kids, my my wife. And um, so, yeah, I think I think it's important to decide what it is that you you like to do. But I think your health is critical. Whatever that means to you, the way you eat, the way you exercise, um, I think you got to have some discipline. You've got to determine what it is that you want to do and need to learn. And I think reading is critical. If, if you're not, if you're not reading every day, um, most successful people are pretty voracious readers. They might read trade magazines. They may read, you know, financials. They read the Wall Street Journal. They read whatever. But education is a shortcut to experience. Yeah. So if I can benefit from something, I mean, you go to like the Wall Street Journal and you read almost any article, you can read in, in two or three columns what an individual or a business has spent decades developing. And you can see it from the embryonic stage to success or failure. And, and you, can, you can assess that and say, what, what happened there? What did they do? And usually it's pointed out in the article, you know. And you say, wow, how does that apply to me or my business? And, I mean, and you're reading whatever faith or your scriptures, the Bible, whatever you read, that's there because, and you can see civilizations, you can see groups of people, you can see what happens. And so that's huge. Um, the trade magazines and whatever industry you're in, you're learning from your peer group where they're failing or where they're successful. And sometimes you say, well, that doesn't apply to ours because of this. Okay. But is there is there wisdom there? So mm -hmm. uh, that education is a shortcut to experience. That, that's at Clyde Johnson. I had a school that told me that. He said, "Man, he said if I have any credibility at all as a professor, it's because I read everything I get my hands on." Now that takes time. You can't read 14 hours a day, but but you need 
to be consistent at finding those things that that resonate with you that will help you grow your business and you need to consume them whether it's you know at 11 o'clock at night when you're you know tired or when you I, I usually get up early in the morning and I read for the first couple hours of my day I'm reading and and I have regular feeds that come on you know social media that I read I have things I subscribe to uh, investment stuff as well as um, as business articles and and I have a couple services I found that are really good that are summaries of the industry. Mm -hmm. Most industries have what's real estate, banking, whatever. There's someone in the industry that takes the lead and says, they put together a daily sheet that says, here's what's going on in the industry. It may be the trade magazine itself, or it may be an individual player in the business that makes a name for themselves as being the source of everything that's going on, kind of the gossip, the rag sheet. But it's it's accurate. And I've got a number of those that come in. Um, and I just, it, it takes, most of them are one page. And I can scan those and find out what's going on in the world, what's going on in economics, what's going on with the Fed, what's going on in banking. And so I, I just feel like, and, and a lot of times, in fact, it's frustrating me because I think I can do I can do this reading today in 40 minutes. And next thing I know, I've read something that says, ah, i got to research it. So then I jump to Google and I start reading and, you know, next thing I know, but, but I come away and I say, wow, I, I didn't know that. And now I know more about it. And so, I mean, if you're not reading, you're missing a huge opportunity because there's so much out there and which is the flip side if you're just allowing social media to control your life and you're just gravitating to whatever pops on your screen you're in trouble so and I'm, I'm a I'm a copy machine I, I'm not original in most things everything I do I've stolen from somebody Charles Schwab the great steel magnet apparently had some consultants coming in that that he had hired to give them some direction of their business take a look and and the story goes that there was a junior consultant or an apprentice that was coming along with the, the high-powered guy, and Schwab was sitting around with him talking. The other guy was doing something. He said, so what do you think? And he said, yeah. somehow they got in conversation, and the kid said, you know, one thing I would encourage you, Mr. Schwab, is at the end of every day before you go home, prioritize your day the next day and put down the three top things that you want to accomplish tomorrow in order, one, two, three. And when you come in the next day, you start on one, and you work, 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 and you'll get interruptions, you get phone calls, people walk in, but the moment it, your time is yours again, go back to number one. Don't go three, don't go two, get one. When one's done, go to two. As interruptions come, fine, go back to two. And just prioritize and make sure you do the most important things during the day that have to be done. Um, and he said, he, he said, what do I owe you for that? And the kid allegedly said, I want you to use it for a few months and let me know. But this was back in the 30s or something. And apparently that uh, the story goes that three months later, the, this junior consultant got a check from Charles Schwab for $25,000. Um, back then, that was a lot of money. That's a lot of money today. And, and, and apparently the note said something like, uh, I can't even, probably, this is so valuable to me and, and how it's blessed me. And so I'm a, I personally am a list maker. Mm -hmm. I, I have my list um, because I want to focus because it's so easy to get distracted. And so I usually try and determine what are the two or three things tomorrow that I have to get done. So I jump up and I, I get my reading done. And, and I'm usually, I, I love reading, but I'm going, I want to get to my day. Right. But I've disciplined myself to read what I'm going to read. Uh, I have, you know, whether I have my uh, time where I, uh, spiritual, otherwise read scriptures, whatever, but then I read my business stuff. But I'm raring to go. And so I usually walk in and I'm going. I know what I'm hitting. And then that really has been a great thing because it's so easy. I see people that waste. Most people are watching multiple hours a day of television. Or on their phones, right? Well, and now social media is, is, is so intrusive. It's in everything we do. And I'm, I'm guilty, too. Not guilty of social media. I don't spend a lot of time there. But texts, phone calls, 
I mean, emails all day long, I'm, and it's there. I don't even have to go back to the office. Wherever I am, I'm clearing emails. Um, so I've, I've gotten real good at, at uh, unsubscribing, and, and I just unsubscribe constantly. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, whatever you do, somebody's got your email, and they, they pass it on and sell it to somebody. But if you don't do that, you end up spending a great part of your productive day sorting through rubbish. And so I think it's just you decide what you want to be, and then you set out and you, and, and you be there. If you want to hike, you know, a great mountain, you just you start walking. I mean, yeah, you can take a helicopter, but that's not the goal if you're if you're walking and you want to take the trail. So you start walking, you put a foot in front of the other, and 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 you go with some preparation, some food, some water, and you're prepared for the weather, and you're going to get there. That's why I said being a millionaire is you just have to start saving and live within your means, and then. Begin as you're comfortable investing. The other thing I'd tell you is don't invest in things you don't know something about. It's, right. it's really risky. And there's, there's more ways to lose than there are to gain. There's so many ways to lose. So how do you become a millionaire one dollar at a time? And, and the other thing is that can be real deceptive because if you ever heard that little story that guy stands up and says, work for me for a month, I'll give you a thousand dollars a day, or I'll give you a penny a day the first day and we'll double it. You tell me what you, know, what you want to do. You know, most people say, well, give me the money, I'll take 30 grand. But if you take a penny and double it, yeah. day two it's two dollars, two cents, then four cents, then eight cents, and sixteen cents, and thirty-two, and sixty-two, and one twenty-eight. What does it become? Millions. It becomes millions and millions by thirty. It's at thirty-one, thirty-two, whatever. Um, and and that's the compounding, and that's what happens with money. But most people start saving money, they get discouraged because I've saved for two years and I got a little bit. It's it's on that example when you take a calculator and put point zero one times two times two times two. It's like day seventeen before it. But once you hit 17, 18, and you could really equate that to years, you might have saved for 10, 15 years, but all of a sudden, you look around and say to yourself, we have $85,000 in there. And it's, taxes are paid, that's our money, we can do it what we want. And then you're just not so quick to throw it away. And so I, there's a lot of value in that. Lessons learned along the way that have nothing to do with buying a business or running a business. But my father-in-law, remember this, he always said, um, what you do when you see a penny on the ground says a lot about how you value money. And, and ever since he told me that, and even before that, if I see a penny, I pick it up. And, and, and owning fast food restaurants, it's interesting. If you ever need a few pennies, go to a drive-up window of fast food restaurants. Because people get changed back and they go, Phew. and these are people that have leased cars. They're in debt over their you know, eyebrows. They're trying to live a lifestyle, but they, money, it's pennies, who wants it? And they drop it. You can always find pennies, some nickels and even some dimes at the bottom of a fast food restaurant one drive through window. I've always, I always remember my father-in-law saying that. What you do when you see a penny on the ground says a lot about how you value money. And that's, I've, I, I think that's great counsel. And, and even that simple thing, I'll see a penny, and I'll go, oh, I don't want to pick it up. You know what? I need to respect that. That's, that's money. That's, that's, there's value there. And, and I want to respect money and what it can do. Money's good. It, it blesses a lot of lives because you can give it, you can share. Um, you can donate, you can serve with money, so there's, there's great value, but it's, it's really not hard, but it's not overnight in most cases. There are exceptions. There's a guy that goes to Vegas and throws in a few hundred bucks and he wins a million or something, but again, that's, that's not going to be you. It's not going to be me. Um, and if he wins in Vegas, he's going to keep gone. on putting it. It's gone. Yeah, that, that's the thing that they have to you when they do win it. Um, I had a secretary years ago. And she'd always, about every eight, ten weeks, she'd say, hey, I went to Vegas this weekend, I won 400 bucks. I go, and you kept it? Yeah, I got it right here. And so one time after she said, over a period of years, I said, hey, Sue, how many times have you been to Vegas in the last six months? Well, I, hey, I only heard you say it once. You know, I mean, that, that's <laughs> the point. 
So we tend to, and that's in business too, people tend to brag about what something goes well, and they usually, you know, inflate it anyway. Um, but very few of us are willing to talk about the losses. And, and, and again, I, we've started businesses, we've, we've made some choices that, that cost us money. But if you learn from those experiences, we've not repeated them. I'm proud to say that. One of them is we, hired, we started an internet business in California. And because the guy that was going to be our driver on this lived in California and he didn't want to come this way and we thought that was the opportunity. I won't go into details about it, but it just turned out to be a partner we couldn't manage um, long distance. You know, I, he had a lot of skills, a lot of talents, but it just didn't work. And early on we said to each other, it's going to be a problem. Managing, distance managing is tough because they get goblins in their head about what, what we're thinking and we're wondering what's, what's not getting done. And um, So we've never done that since then. We've even said when we talked about expanding the businesses, remember that experience? If we if we go to you know New Mexico or we go here or there, how are we going to manage it? Who's going to get on a plane twice a week and be there? Who's going to you know? And so those are decisions. Those so when you make a mistake, that cost us a pretty penny, but it wasn't it didn't hurt us. Didn't change our lifestyle because we'd saved the money. It was our cash. We didn't borrow a penny. I mean, we just went and bought a vehicle for the business, brand new, and we did that stuff, and we ended up selling the business, selling the, selling the vehicle, and all, but. We lost a fair amount of money. But those lessons, I still remember every one of them, just like the deal with the uh, covered parking. Those lessons are good, and, and, and for us, they've gotten fewer and fewer where we've had those bad experiences because um, we, we remember them. Mm -hmm. and, and we say, okay, how can we avoid that type of situation? You can never avoid all the problems, but you can avoid most of them. I mean, people will talk to me about business, and I'll go, I don't want to be negative because I'm a cheerleader. I'm the guy who goes, we can sell this, we can do this. But I see stuff and I go, why would you ever even think that could be a good business? <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous. And so, I, I, and I think that just comes from, you know, my life's experience and, and doing things and having the wisdom of other people saying this and that. And, and then you look at something and go, that's just, that's not right. That's not good. And, and, and I think that's where if, if you're a young guy and you're starting a business, look around. Who do you know that's in business? Who do you know that's been down the path? Who do you know that's a CPA? Who do you, just take them to lunch. I mean, if somebody called me and said, hey, Brad, I'm thinking about starting a business, like my, son, my nephew Richie, would you just look at this and tell me what you think, honestly? Happy to do it. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying just me. Anybody who's over 18 years old knows people. Their parents know people. They have friends, associates. Take advantage of that. Yeah. Talk to them. Say, hey, this is what I'm thinking of doing. Any wisdom you can offer me? Or what would you tell me to look out for? And that's what I say a lot of times. I just, I just want to avoid going over a cliff. Totally. And, and, and there's not one mistake we've made that had we talked to enough people, I mean, just a reasonable group of people that had similar experiences wouldn't have stopped us from it. They just said, now, there's also the flip side that says, well, yeah, everybody told Steve Jobs you can never do it. I mean, I, I get that. There's always the exceptions. But as a general rule, 99% of the people lose money on businesses they never should have started in the first place. For one, they didn't count the costs. They had no idea what they needed to do. They didn't. They, they think of a business, but they never think of insurance. Oh, insurance! We got to have insurance. Got, you know everything. No, you're not. So, so you talk to somebody who's run even a simple business. They say, "Well, it's, I see your I see your projections there and your performance, but there's no insurance. There's no this. There's no there's no utilities. There's oh, you know people sit there. They don't count their cost for labor. And there was a lady I knew that started a candle business, and she was very successful, but she was selling her candles and couldn't couldn't make enough. And when her business was looked at, she was selling her candles for five bucks. It was costing about 13 bucks a candle to make. She had no idea.
Wow. But she she had cash flow. Money was coming in because she was selling a ton of candles, but pretty soon she ran out of money and she couldn't figure why. But she was for every candle she sold, she was losing eight bucks. And and, and that that should never have happened. Yeah. That's just counting the cost. But she never included her own labor. She was working around the clock, killing herself, and she thought she had a business, but she didn't. So if you talk to someone who's been in business and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking of doing. Can you can you warn me? Can you help me? What Does it look like I've, I've thought of everything? Just that simple effort will, will yield you great returns because people say, well, that looks good, but have you thought about this? No. Okay, run it again, see if it still works. There's so much available to us today. And then with Google, I mean, you can mm -hmm. go on the internet and you can answer all kinds of questions. But So I, I think there's there's great opportunity. And, and there's, what, 85% of the products we use in the next 20 years haven't even been developed yet? That's a, I mean, the opportunities in America are incredible. But you, and you can afford to make mistakes. Or if you can't afford to make mistakes, you can't afford to make too many. Because all the mistakes, the only thing that keeps from being a business is money. You have to have capital. Mm -hmm. You have to. You might go out and convince somebody to loan you money, and it might work. But generally, if you're going to be successful, you've got to have capital. And you've got to be able to project what your capital needs are before you jump into business. For instance, in, in, our, in our class business, we figure that if you're going to grow the business by $100, we need $200 in additional capital to fund that $100 of growth. You say, how can that be? If I go sell a million dollars, we got a million dollars we didn't have. That's right. But of that, I've got to have $500,000 to go buy the material. And, and the moment I purchase that material from one of the big suppliers, I got usually 30 days to pay it. But the guy that we're going to build it for isn't going to pay it until he's living in it. Yeah. So I may have to care. I mean, we have the same issue, 30, 60 days. But what happens is you have to float money. And then if there, it rains and we don't get installed, they're not going to pay for it until they, they have progression, uh, progression along the way. So progression payments, progress payments. So the point is, you can't just go out and do a million dollars of business and not have a couple million to support that. I've got to pay people, I've got to pay labor, I've got to pay payroll, I've got to do all these things before I can collect that million. And if, and if I'm running with a 20% gross margin, that means I'm going to spend $750,000 in many cases before I get the million in. Mm -hmm. So how am I going to pay that? So, so retained earnings. It was where you just well, saying live with, live well, with I'm saying earnings. not just retained earnings. That's profits that you choose to keep and you, and you can grow out of. Uh -huh. But you can't just go out and say, hey, we just got a $300,000 contract. You, you're not capable of doing the business. You can't do it. I yeah. can't do it because I've got to go buy $150,000. I just got a $300,000 order. I got to buy $150,000 of material today. And they want, and if they don't know me and I don't have a financial statement and they don't have a business, I got to provide cash. They're not going to just give me that and, and, and be the bank for me and carry me. Yeah, so yeah. my point is, those are simple things, depending on the business you're in. If you bring to me and you say, well, this is a real, this is a real uh, capital intensive business, or, or I look at it and go, wow, this gonna, you have, what kind of capital do you have to start this? Oh, I don't have much, but, but it's a great business. I know I can sell it. But then I got to go to China to build it, whatever. Well, that, that money's got to be there before you can ever generate any revenue from an invoice to your customer. So those are simple things that when you just talk to a few people that have been in business and say, Here's what I'm thinking about. They'll warn you. They'll keep you from going over that cliff. And, and that's why um, that's the, the best thing that, that most people never do. They don't take advantage of the resources that are right around them. It's easy, but most kids never do it. They just they run out and jump into things. So entrepreneurship's great. It's alive. Um, and there's a bunch of ways to do it. But forget who you are. 
figure out what, what you do well at, and then surround yourself with people that fill in the void where you don't do well, you don't have your strengths, and, and figure out your capital. And, and, and that's, you may not start a business for five years or 10 years or 20, you may go to college and do what I did, work for 20 years for a corporation, get a great experience, great education, and meanwhile, rat holding money, so when you come out of that, you've got a ton of money, a big pile of cash that you can throw to business or you can invest however you want. That's how most people have made money in America. There's, there's recent studies done on millionaires, Dave Ramsey, I'm a big Dave Ramsey fan. Uh, they just did a, a study of 10,000 millionaires in America, and, and most every one of them, uh, very quickly, they don't, they don't have a mortgage. They get out of debt, they get out of debt, they mm -hmm. pay off their debt because your greatest wealth building tool is your income. And so they pay off their debt, they, they don't go buy new cars typically, and that doesn't change when they become multimillionaires. Because those habits are habits that will serve you well all through your life. People don't save, 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 start a business, become wealth, and then just start flying first class and doing stupid things. They just don't do it because very quickly that money will be gone. Money, money has a way of fleeting very quickly if you don't manage it. And, and so, um, but the basics for anybody is save money, work. You got to work. You got to have an income, and you save that, and you stay out of debt. And then when opportunities come, you can recognize them, and you can you can be more wise about going into them. And, and something you said that kind of excited me, I guess, is when you're talking about saving money. It's like everyone wants your money. It's you're, it's gonna be hard to run out of opportunities when you've actually saved the money and you have it totally paid for. Oh, yeah. You're gonna have investments that you're gonna be able to make. Oh, there's there's so many investments, um, and and many of them aren't great. But when you've saved the money and it's your money, you'll look at those investments totally differently than if you're going to go borrow money and put it on a credit card. And, and debt, whether, whether you do it in wisdom or you do it in desperation, it's still debt and it's still a burden and you still have to pay it off. And, and you will never get beyond, you'll never grow wealth if you're strapped with debt. I know people that make $700,000 a year and they're desperate for cash. Because they spent everything they have. They live in a gated community. They drive big, huge BMW 735, 740s. Um, they take trips, and and it's very important to them to show that country club, you know, group that they're wealthy. But they have no net worth. There's nothing there. And the moment that income stops, and they they work hard, good business, but the moment that income stops, they're broke. And in fact, they're. They're broke sooner because when the income stops, they've got all this money they've already spent that they're depending on the income to pay, and then they're in, in desperate shape. And so you talked about reading and um, you know learning from other people's mistakes, which is a big game changer. So you don't oh, yeah. have to make them all oh, yourself. Yeah. Like go ahead and go do stuff and learn from your mistakes and try to minimize them, but learn from other people's too. And then you're also kind of starting to talk about networking, which is I think huge. I think that's another good habit. That's part of the reason. I mean, that's the whole main reason I started this podcast because I started talking to people. I was learning so much and I was like, well, other people need to hear this too. And like you said, when you talk to someone, they always know someone else. So even if you're not maybe learning something from someone yeah. directly, they're going to be able to help you out. Oh, yeah. And, and, and the, the good jobs are, are rarely had on... Zip but, recruiter? I mean, all those. I mean, yeah, the good jobs, that's not where they are. I mean, there's, there's some decent jobs there, but the good jobs are usually word of mouth. Yeah. I mean, in the industry, pick it. Broadcasting? You know, you don't generally look for a general manager job posted. They know who the next general manager is going to be at this TV station long before the opportunity presents itself. I mean, if you're running a broadcast group and you've got multiple stations, you've got people all over the company you've already pegged. That's a general manager. Eventually, that's, I mean, I, 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 that's just how it works. And so the, the real plum jobs are based on 
people knowing who you are. And or people saying, I mean, I would get calls, people say, hey, who's good in your market that we can steal away to run the station, you know, in another market? And I knew all the general managers. And, and I'd say, so you want to hire a guy to come into our company that's causing me trouble here because he's really good, he or she. Maybe yeah, I go, okay, go to that station, grab him if you can. Get him out of here because he's a good competitor, he's honorable, he's a good guy, and if we can get him in our company, take him. I mean, that's, that's just how it works. Most of those jobs are, that's why when I left him, you know, when my job ended, I was getting calls from other markets because yeah. I know who I was. And so that's just how it works. And so networking is important. But I, I have a little bit of a, when you say the word networking, to me that is, it gets a bad rap mm-hmm. because I think networking is honorable and, and, it's, and it's, it's taking advantage of the people that you genuinely know. But I think a lot of young people get the idea, I just gotta, I gotta know everybody so I can exploit everybody. Give them all my business cards. That, yeah, that's that just, just so superficial. And now, you know, with, uh, just, I, I think it's genuine looking at the resources you have, relationships that are genuinely developed, and, and then saying, hey, not taking advantage, or not you owe me something, but talking to people and saying, hey, or you develop a relationship with them, and those things will usually, if they're developed that way, even when you're least expecting, they'll come back to benefit you and bless you. Because they'll talk to somebody and say, hey, call Charlie. He, he's this a kid with a lot of potential. And that's just how it works. And so I guess more than networking, I'd say be very protective of your reputation. Who you do business with, how you do business with them, how you treat them. When a customer has a bad experience, what do you do? How do you fix it? And those are the things, that, that's the networking that's important. And you're not really networking. You're just taking good care of your customers and your relationships. And then people, unbeknownst to you, will talk to those people and they'll say, you got to talk to Charlie if this is the kind of guy you're looking for. That's the network that makes a difference. I, I know people that know everybody and they've struggled to find good work along because they just, the fact they know everybody doesn't mean anything. If, if nobody likes you, it doesn't matter. Well, and they like it. I know, I know, I know one individual, he, he just, he makes a point to know everybody. He, it, they really hadn't got him anywhere. So, the networking is a function of your reputation and your, your performance and who you are and how you do business, and that'll take care of itself. You don't have to say, I'm gonna go network today. I mean, you can say, I'm going to this mixer, I'm gonna go meet some people um, and, and, and be genuine and be yourself and get to know people. That's why you sit on boards and that's why you do charity work and all, in part, is, is to just to expand your, your circle of influence. But you don't do it for the sake of, well, I'm gonna get to know him because I can exploit him, because that's a superficial relationship. But when people work with you and know you, and oftentimes it's your peer group, like in a company, a big company, everybody knows you. Everybody knows who the bad guys are. Everybody knows who's taking advantage of the company, who's stealing from the company. And, and, if, and if you think you can get away with that stuff, your networking is, is lost because everybody knows it. And the way it works in business, people call you and, you know, there's legal restraints. And when they call HR and say, hey, can you give us a reference on this individual? Um, here's what happens in reality. We follow all the rules and we say, yes, he worked for us, for us for, from this date to this date. He was in this role. Well, can you tell us anything? No, uh, by corporate, uh, that's all I can do. I can just confirm employment dates and whatever. But somebody calls and says, hey, can you give us a reference on Charlie? Um, yeah, he worked on this date and this date and uh, did a great job for us. And Yeah, I mean, they just say it. They just, if it's a bad guy, they say, they confirm dates. They confirm employment dates and salary or whatever, right? But if it's a good guy, they can't, they can't hold it. I love Charlie, he's the greatest, we'd hire him back anytime. And so they offer that on someone who has a good reputation. They just say, 
Yes, yes, he did work for us. Yes. Well, can you tell me about it? No, I'm sorry, that's against corporate policy. That's just how it works. I mean, I'm not saying yeah. it's right. It's just human nature. I think it's about, like you were saying, developing relationships. Like just being genuine. Like, yeah. I think people tend to like me. I would say just because I have natural conversations. Like I, I'm not, yeah, just trying to meet everyone to <laughs> give them my business card. But I, I'm genuinely interested in them. I'm like, oh. I'd love to learn more about you and your career. Like people are happy to talk Those about are themselves. Those are characteristics that, that just stand out. And not everybody has them. Not everybody has the ability to just be conversational and sit down with a stranger. And right. My father and I do it. It doesn't matter where he goes. Internationally, traveling around the world. Hey, how are you? What are you doing? He just picks up a conversation. He comes away with amazing stories from people that just he met on a bus or on a subway. Or yes. Not everybody can do that. But but when you have that ability, that's good. But there's a lot of people that have that ability, and then they don't realize. They, they become manipulative, and because they can communicate well, they end up taking advantage of people, and all your networking and all the things you're trying to exploit are shot because you go, oh yeah, yeah, I, I know him. You know, I mean, and, and all of a sudden. So that's one of the, the big things we have to do is whatever your strength is, use it, use it well, develop it, enhance it, but don't let it, don't, don't abuse it. Don't abuse your own strengths because they'll come back to bite you. If you know, there's great sales guys that just have the natural ability to communicate and sell, and yeah. and so they talk people into things, and they sell people things that that the people don't need, and they twist their arms, they intimidate them, and so the people buy, um, but those people usually they peak and they dwindle because the word gets out that he's a shyster, he's a crook, he's whatever. Oh yeah, you think he likes you because he comes up, gives you a, gives you a hug, a corporate kiss, whatever, but he's a crook, and and that's so. Be careful of your strengths. I mean. Use them wisely, but don't don't exploit your own strengths w without expecting there be a consequence. Uh, yeah, networking is important, but it it happens naturally if you're engaged in work and you're engaged in taking care of customers. Pretty soon your reputation just proceeds. It always proceeds. You've heard that. I've heard that since I was a kid. You know, you, you can't hide from your reputation. So be careful because once you lose it, once you lose a good reputation, it's hard to, it's hard to bring it back. So now you get me a little worried. So I, you know, Instagram. <laughs> I do. And the, the direct message, they call it the DM. You know, I have an Instagram account, but that's one of those things I talked about. I don't spend a lot of time. And I have grandkids on it and people, but I, I just don't spend a lot of time on social media. So I know it. I have it. I can't remember my password, though. So, <laughs> so I probably so, don't know your DM. So here's the thing. I DM a lot of girls. And now I'm worried, now that you're saying reputation, that it might screw it all up. Do you think they all talk to each other about me? <laughs> They're like, oh, Charlie Little, he DMs everyone. I, I, I think everybody talks about everybody. And now with social media, it's even more. I mean, and so yeah, whatever whatever you do, I, I don't think the fact that you talk to a lot of girls, because I know a lot of young ladies that, that think Charlie's great. That's, That's not good. it. That's good. But if you think you can run around with two or three at the same time and tell them you love them and, and, and exploit and abuse them, that doesn't last very long. Right. Especially with social media. And so... That was a good point. Uh, so, so I mean, you can be a great, outgoing, charismatic, friendly Charlie and, and, and have really genuine friends all over the place, mm -hmm. girls and, and, and young men alike. Um, but if, if you think you can do that without whatever it, they're perceiving getting around, you're deceiving yourself. <laughs> if you treat them all fairly and treat them all right, you can't please everybody. And right. some people be jealous of your personality, some, you know, and some people will, will say bad things just because they want to cut you down because 
you threaten them. I don't think that happens as much as we think it does, but you need to know that whatever we do out there will follow us. It used to be you could have a reputation in one town, and if you blew it, you'd just move to another town and start over. Mm -hmm. Now, it's all bigger now. Digital world, I mean, you just Google Charlie you know, Little and <laughs> boom, you're going to come up with a podcast and, and you're, right. everything you do. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's just more important than ever to be concerned about how you treat people and, and however you see the world. If you see the world as a crook, crooks get employed. People that are dishonest get employed because usually by dishonest people who value what they think they're going to bring them regardless of how honest they are. Mm -hmm. But if you want to live a life that you feel good about, you can sleep at night, uh, where your conscience doesn't just constantly berate you, then, then you just need to be concerned about the way you treat everybody. The secretary, right. the executive, it doesn't matter. They're all people. So totally. You're making me think bigger. Like, I think a lot of people, they want to be a millionaire in a year, in two years. And it's just not going to happen. And it, it's not like it's all about the money. Like you're saying, like sometimes reputation, what pe like if you've actually spent the time to treat people right, that's going to... That's going to benefit you greatly well, yeah, in the long get, run. And, and, and if it does, if it gets you a great job or gets you promoted, that's fine. But if you don't save some of that money, you'll never have wealth. Millionaire is not hard. The first million is hard. Mm -hmm. After that, it's not as hard. Money doubles itself at 7% in 10 years. And you put it in the S&P 500, just an index fund, mirroring the market, and you put a million dollars in there. In 10 years, you have $2 million. Now you've got to pay taxes on it. But, but it doubles itself. So think about it. You spend the first 30, 40 years of your working life earning a million, and then the next seven years it's two million, the next seven years it's four million, next seven, you know what I mean? It, that's what a lot of people have done, and they've done it the very old-fashioned way. Work hard, save money, invest wisely, and, and not crazily, just conservatively, and mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you, you know, you take a kid now that's born, you put $10,000 aside when they're born, and put it in that market, it's 20000 when they're seven, it's 40000 when they're, check this out, when they're 14, it's 80000 when they're... Uh, 21. It's 160,000 when they're 28. It's 320,000 when they're uh, 35. When they're 42, it's 640,000. And when they're 49, it's well over a million. And that's a $10,000 nut when they're born. By the time they're 50 years old, they've got a well over a million bucks. They didn't do anything. And they didn't do anything. They didn't put any they, extra money. They didn't do anything. They didn't save anything. But grandpa or dad or somebody saved it and put $10,000 in an account for them and just ran it in the market for you know 50 years and. So that's what I'm saying. It's the eighth it's wonder not, of the world, compound. It is. Interest. That's what Einstein said. So you think about it. If you start at 25, mm -hmm. 27, and you save 15% of your income, and you got it. Dave income. said 20. What do you think about that? I, you I did, did 30. 30. Yeah. So <laughs> what I'm saying is, I, if you save 15% of your income, and I do gross, save it to your gross income, not your net income. If you'll save 15% of an average work in life at, at an average salary, you're, you're worth a lot more than a million dollars at 65 years old. Okay, we get it. you got to save your money. I'm huge. It's huge. Yeah. And okay. so, yeah, I've been redundant. But, but that's awesome that, to know that that's, that's it. That's how you become rich. Okay, so one other thing I wanted to know is you've been involved in a lot of different businesses. Are you ever doing it because you see an opportunity and you think it would be fun and enjoyable? Or are you mainly just doing it, hey, this is a good opportunity. I see a lot of ROI. These are good skills I have. Oh, no. I, the first. The first. Fun and exciting. Really? Oh yeah, I mean. So when you heard doors and glass, you're like, yes. Well, fine. That I got involved in that just because it was, again, that I was ready, I was prepared, I had money, I had experience, and and Clark, who was a door at the glass company, said, "Would you just come take a look at our company and just give us some your thoughts?" Right. 
and that evolved and it was fun and I enjoyed that. I, I don't know much about glass. And I can I can tell you a little bit, but I, I can't go out on a job and sell glass. I can't install it. Hmm. Um, but that's not why I'm there. And the things I do are necessary in every business, but I'm not a glass technician. Andy is, and, the, and all the crew are. They're really good. Um, and so I, I don't I didn't say I'm going to go into glass business because I love glass. <laughs> but I, I love the whole opportunity, the people I work with, the people I associate with, the business owners that I work with. And so that's why I, you know, I said, yeah, I'd like to be involved in this business. Okay. And that's why I said I'm more an investor than an entrepreneur. Um, we bought an Arby's when I was still in television. Um, this I bought, with, I bought into after a few years when they involved me in Mirror Works and I decided to, to do that. Um, so we did start a few businesses. We started a bank, 11 of us. So, but again, we hired professionals to help us with that. We, we, we didn't just say, hey, let's just go start at the bottom and figure it out. I mean, we had to put money in. So every business I've done, it, had to, it required capital. If I didn't have money that I could just put in and not change my lifestyle, I wouldn't be involved in any of these. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what's critical. And, and so I'm more investor. I look for opportunities because that would be fun. I value the people. I like the people. I trust them. I think feel good about them. And so, yeah, I'm willing to put my money in and jump in and offer what I can offer. Mm -hmm. That's been more my route, um, investing, as opposed to saying, well, I'm going to start a software company from scratch and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to code all this stuff. That's just not my skill set. Building it all. I don't have a skill set. Yeah. And so I've been more, because I was in television for years, in the sales and marketing side, I looked at, I worked with thousands of businesses, either, either hands-on or I looked at their schedules. I looked at how the, the marketing worked for them. We built commercials for them. So I understand uh, marketing is probably my strength in most things I do. And so when I see businesses, I look at them and say, can this be marketed? How are they marketing it? They, have they marketed it well? Does it make money? And, and then I can say, yeah, I can, I can contribute here. And so whatever your skill sets are, when the opportunities come, if you're prepared with experience and capital and all, you can, you can say, yeah, I'll step into that. And it's not a huge big deal. It's not a, you know, it's not like we're going to go, sweetheart, we're going to mortgage the house. We're going to risk everything. We're going to go rent a building that we can't afford. And we're going to borrow a bunch of money. We're going to take a shot at this. That's, that is not what I do. There are guys that do that. I'm not that guy. Those guys have a different skill set. That's not my skill set. I'd rather sleep at night. I'd rather, and we, you got to take risk, but you calculate. That's what I've learned from banking over the last 16 years is it's calculated risk. Everybody takes risk, but some people take stupid risk and other people take calculated risk and say, I know there's risk here. How can we mitigate the risk up front knowing it's going to happen? When you loan money to people, you know some it's not coming back. Bad things happen. People die. They get in car wrecks. Things happen. They can't pay their bills. And we loaned them $150,000. When you see an opportunity, you say, that's intriguing. Versus, oh, that's, that's exciting. Somebody's coming to me and said, we can make a million bucks and, and all I gotta do is mortgage my house. That's just a whole different mindset. Versus, yeah, I like that. How much you need? 150,000? Okay, let's do it. I, after you've done your research and we've mitigated the risk, yeah, I think this makes sense. But again, my approach is if I'm gonna invest money and I lose it, I mean, it, it's gonna cost me, it's gonna be a loss, but okay, it's not gonna change my life. While we're sitting here doing this, somebody's buying a blizzard over there, and somebody's installing glass over here, and somebody's borrowing money at the bank over there, and, 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 and that's, that's how I've figured out to increase my income, is by having good businesses that good people are running when I'm doing something else. And that's, that's how I figured out to do it, just comfortably step into different businesses that are good businesses that make sense, um, and invest what I can, and if it makes sense, I do it. And, I don't have anything where I'm 100% owner, which again is something I think is, is wise because I've benefited of smart people. 
And, and, and if I do lose, if that business goes south, I don't lose at all. I lose my investment in it, and a couple other people lose theirs. But we really, other than the internet business, we really haven't had that situation uh, because of the benefit of a small group of people that have put harder earned money in and working hard to make it work. And so that's I'm the guy that says, you know, it's the old it's the old grandparent grandma talk. You know, hard work, save money, um, do more than you're asked to do, give what you give, all that you can give. Um, Within reason, and then, and then, uh, if it's good business, it'll make money. If it serves customers, you you should be able to survive, and that's that's it's worked. Awesome. So some takeaways I got is just um, one of them is just be patient. Like I think really with the saving and everything, people just want stuff too fast, and you can get everything you want, but some, you really just need to save. Um, take care of your reputation, right? That's that's what people know you. And so, some action that we can take off of what we learned, I think. I, I thought of three things. So, obviously, one, save. So, take a look at the income that you have and at least 15% gross. Put it away, invest it in mutual funds and have that grow so you can have opportunities in the future. You somehow pay your taxes every year, so you should be able to pay yourself too. Reading, make sure you're reading every single day. It's, you're missing out if you're not reading. There's books out there. It's there's mistakes every to every topic, every subject. Yeah, yeah. And and read about like the Steve Jobs, you know, uh, biography. That that's interesting because along with his success, you read about some of his personal attributes in his life, and and you say, well, I want to be Steve Jobs, but you say, do I want to be who he was? Because they go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So I mean, read about read biographies, read autobiographies of great people, and say, I like this about him. I don't like this about him. I don't. And, and, and make those decisions about who you want to become. And the last thing is you cannot get anything done if you do not keep track of your time. If you are actually watching the TV for six to seven hours a day, if you're scrolling through Instagram or TikTok mindlessly every day, you're not going to be able to games. <laughs> video games. You're not going to be able to accomplish your goals. So those three, um, those three priorities you're talking about. Think about the three big things you need to do tomorrow and tonight. Write those things down, and tomorrow, Pack them. get those things done as soon as you can, whenever you have free time. If you have to go to school, and go do your school thing, but when you get back, go do those three things. Every day. Every day. I mean, right. all of a sudden, you'd be amazed day. at what gets accomplished. You'd just be amazed at what you knock off. Yeah, 24 hours is a lot of time, right? Yeah, but even two hours that are focused will, will put most people far ahead of their peer group. Mm -hmm. you know? and, and that's the difficult stuff, too. Do the difficult stuff. Put them on the top of the list and get them done. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to do this. I don't want to write that that essay, or I don't want to. I mean, a lot of in case of students, it's homework. Right. Put it down. Get the difficult stuff done, and then you can enjoy other stuff. But most people put the most difficult stuff at the end, and then they're miserable. They're doing the things they want. They're playing video games, but in the back of their mind, they're miserable because they know what's coming. And they have to sit up till two in the morning doing the. Just take on the problems, and that's with customers too. If you got a customer that's having a problem, deal with it. Go to them. Mm -hmm. Hey, we got a problem. Let us fix it. And that, that's your reputation, that's all those things are rolled into dealing with problems. Um, just final note, I, it, it, and I, I'm not an advocate of debt, but if you have debt and you get in trouble financially, go to your creditors. Say, I intend to pay you, but I'm in trouble. I got a problem. Let's work out a payment. So there's not a creditor out there that won't say, thank you. Let's work with you. We'll figure out a way for you to pay this back. Most people just hide. They hide from their debts, they hide from their problems, they hide for, from anything that scares them. and, and 
And they think and it's going to go away. They think it's going to go away. It always gets worse. It always gets worse. It always gets worse. Deal with it up front. And, and instead of trashing your career or your reputation, it builds it and enhances it. Everybody who loves somebody in business says, you say, why do you like that? Well, one time we had this thing and they really screwed it up or their company screwed it up. But this guy came to my house on Saturday. We dealt with it. We fixed it. And they always tell a story of how somebody went the extra mile to mess up either their own air, their own company's air. And that's what solidifies in their mind. That puts you head and shoulders above the rest of the group because everybody else just ran from the problems. Yeah. So always take your problems head on. Yeah, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Charlie.